Elizabeth doesn't know this, but I'm preparing a special treat for us. Separately, I think the smells are good. I don't know about together. So, Elizabeth. Mm hmm Oh, God. What? It's a, oh, man. I'm sorry. That is not something that I want to hear. I just want to tell you that I appreciate you and our friendship. And as a way to intro today's show, um, I came up with a weird and probably slightly gross, more than slightly gross idea for us. And I just, I need you to trust me blindly and implicitly and just go along with it, okay? <laughs> um, you know, I might have been more on board if you hadn't started with, oh, God, but sure. Okay, so I've made some sandwiches. Uh, the first thing that I want us to try are these pickles and uh, peanut butter. <laughs> are those dill pickles? I mean, I don't even know why I'm asking if they're dill they're pickles. Tasty. Okay. All right, ready? Uh, is that half yours? This one's mine? Is that, I'm taking this one. Okay, all right. Go. I feel hmm. like I took a much bigger bite than you did, and it was a mistake. That's pretty good, actually. Okay, I don't hate it, but I'm probably never going to eat this again. Okay, I want you to take a bite of this. This is a tomato and peanut butter sandwich. I like this one better hmm. than the other one. I'm getting a lot of tomato on the front end here. That's pretty good, man. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> That's pretty good. Not going to lie. <laughs> That's good. I'm gonna finish this sandwich. Oh my gosh! Okay, wait. Well, you have you have, <laughs> have one, one more, more there on though. that plate. I yeah. see. So Do you know, this one, this one, I am concerned about. Is that mayo? It mm -hmm. it smells very strongly of mayonnaise. Yeah, that is a deeply smothered mayo and banana sandwich. <laughs> Oh, I don't know if this I can one, do that. This one, I'm I'm sorry for. Why this did one, you come up with all of these? All the all of these came from where every good and bad idea comes from. Reddit, just the internet in general. Okay, ready? Cheers. Okay. okay. <laughs> I haven't done it. No, I haven't done it yet. That you haven't. Hold on, hold on a second. No, <laughs> it's kind of like strong banana with a tangy finish. I'm going in for number two. Here we go. Oh. All right, hold on. Here's my first bite because I was not a team player. It's just, it's like very viscousy. Yeah, I'm not loving that. There's no texture to this. It's it's like it's like a pudding pudding sandwich sandwich, <clears throat> like a pudding sandwich. <laughs> I need some. I water. will say this though: the aftertaste of all of these things mixed together. It's not good. It's really not. Oh my good. god! I have so many tastes in my mouth. I need a little sip of water. I need a little sip of water here. Why did you make us do this? Well, I wanted to show you how things that seemingly don't complement one another can often surprise us. Why didn't you just, like, say, hey, what's the deal with you and me? We seemingly don't go together, but we work. Like, that would have been just as effective. <laughs> I know, but that's not as fun. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a fun thought experiment. Yes, but, like, you can't put our friendship on a sandwich. <laughs> that is true. So, friends... Friends, today we are talking with professional skier and storyteller, climate activist, and my friend, Brody Levin. Brody has this idea that I think is going to raise your eyebrow. I believe self-doubt leads to a fulfilling life. Reluctance, mistrust, skepticism. How does that fuel a fulfilling life? Shouldn't that be certainty and confidence? Let's find out, shall we, pals? I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them. 
Are you ready? Brody Levin for the safety third lightning round. Yes. Music or podcast? Oh, podcast any day. I, I Music makes me Wh- think about Which it. podcast? Which podcast? Uh, let's say Dirtbag Diaries. Oh, you son of a... <laughs> oh, God damn you. Why don't you like watching movies? Lightning round, lightning round, lightning round. I have this problem where I feel like I need to be productive at any given time. And nothing feels like a bigger waste of time for me than watching a movie or TV. Interesting. We just went to the judges on that. And that answer is incorrect. (laughs) Ghostbusters or Goosebumps? Uh, Goosebumps, for sure. If it's safety third, what are the first two things? I think challenge and satisfaction mm, we were looking for fun and snacks but that's okay yes, yeah i knew those were the other two yeah, yeah. I knew it. Dang it. okay finish this sentence my name is brody and i am a my name is brody and i am a pretty obsessive compulsive person oh that's good who also likes to ski finish this sentence my name is patty and i am a my name is patty and i'm a bully oh that's mean <laughs> That's <laughs> not true. Why would you say that? Do you you don't think My name that. is Patty and I am a powder skier. Why do you feel like I'm a bully? Tell me or it's I'll just, beat you up. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just because <laughs> oh, I have little man syndrome, that's all. It's true. You're a little adorable man. Brody and I have become really close friends over the last few years. And along with a never-ending contest to see, like, just how much shit we can give each other, the thing that I really love about Brody is how he reminds me of the very best parts of the Midwest. Brody grew up in the woods in Ohio, and he was expected to help out around the house. He did things like chop wood all summer and fall to heat the home in the winter, and he also worked in the yard on his mom's landscaping. You know, in the Midwest, these aren't really chores. Things like this are just your parents instilling work ethic. So my dad could, he could fix everything, period. I never saw someone working on anything around my house. Uh And my mom was like the most capable person, you know? And I just remember being like, dad, I don't want to help you change the brakes on the car or like fix this plumbing pipe in the basement because I'm never going to have to know this because I am going to pay someone else to do it. (laughs) Like, hey, dad, maybe all that time you're you're using fixing the car, you could, I don't know, make more money, you know? And and, and in hindsight, like, I wish I could go back so badly and absorb all of that because I think that is one of, like, the coolest things that my parents have and continue to offer me. Brody fell in love with skiing as a kid. He would ski all night long after school at the teeny resort near his home. He'd build jumps and try the tricks he saw in ski films and read about in magazines. He even talked the ski school manager into allowing him to become a ski instructor at 13, even though the age requirement was 15. Brody also started his own DJ business called Brody's Extreme Sounds when he was nine years old. And it wasn't this cute little mini microphone plugged into a boombox. He had legit DJ and PA equipment, and he put on hundreds of shows for clubs and parties. He used the money to pay for ski equipment and lift tickets, and also to finance his ski dream. I went to the ski academy, which was, you know, I mean, that was like paying 
for a college education when right. I was 16 years old. And I went for my junior and senior years and I wanted to see how I could compete with the people that skied the big mountains. Because in my mind, there were no mountains bigger than Vermont. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it was like the freestyle program. But I remember days where they were like, all right, like today's like a powder day. We're going to like go ski through the trees. And I'm like, heck no, we're not. We're going to go ski boxes because that is why I moved here and I'm going to hit boxes today. And I would be like in the park, wiping off the boxes with my hands while everyone else <laughs> is skiing pow. And I'm looking at these people who, you know, instead of living in this super rundown house that I'm living in, the academy house, instead they're living at their parents' weekends homes. They've grown up skiing every single weekend. They come in from Connecticut and they stay at this nice home and they go ski the park. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when I got to Vermont, I, I was behind, but I was like able to hang, you know, like I could do some of the tricks, not these same tricks that these kids who have been skiing the Vermont parks their whole life, but I could do some of the tricks and, and I could compete. And then I decided I want to take the next step up. And the next logical step was, you know, moving to Utah. After graduating from high school, Brody wanted to see if he could hang in the ski world. So he headed out west and attended Westminster College in Salt Lake City. There he spent all of his free time skiing. I remember my first day skiing in Utah. It was a powder day at Brighton. And I just like lost my ski and was almost in tears. I'm like 18 years old. I'm wearing a tall tee and no jacket. <laughs> and I'm like skiing on a powder day. And I'm like, dude, I've lost my, you know, my twin tip ski has submarined into the snow. I have absolutely no idea how to ski powder. Right. This is the first run. And this this roommate of mine is my buddy, Rob. Like he said he was from Michigan, but he is like shredding. And later that's because I learned he grew up coming to Deer Valley every single weekend. And he was a total shredder. And I'm like, I'm, I'm starting from a lifetime behind right now. Yeah. And I'm like surrounding myself with these people who are either more skilled or more privileged or more experienced. And here I am just like, you know, just kind of hang in my head being like, I am starting from so far behind. And that's where I think where I find some of my drive. Yeah. When I graduated and six months later, like my loans came due very quickly, I realized that over the last couple of years, I had been building this foundation for this model of being a professional skier that didn't really exist at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, all right, I'm going to take the remainder of my savings and pour it in to like invest it in this career. And if it doesn't work out, that's when I'm going to have to resort to getting a, a traditional job. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had studied some writing in college and I had studied business. So like I was kind of trying to figure out how I could combine these skills to do what I love to do, which was at that point, climb and ski mountains. And pretty much the trade show after I graduated, the outdoor retailer trade show, I said, okay, this right here, like pointing to my face, this is not famous, but what if there's a way that I can quantify what I offer you based on what you value using this new thing called dot, dot, dot social media. And so, you know, I started a Facebook, I started an Instagram and for like maybe a year or two, I was like the most followed skier in the ski industry. That's including all of the people who actually deserve to be the most followed skiers. Like, you know, all the actual famous athletes out there. <laughs> Yeah, I like had that title for a while because I saw this opportunity to like maybe capitalize on that because people are using it, but the outdoor or the ski industry wasn't really embracing it. And so I'm like, hey guys, like, what do you value? Do you value YouTube videos? Do you value Facebook likes? Do you value clicks on a tweet? Do you value followers? Do you, like, what do you value? Do you value content for your website, for my website, whatever? And so I started just trying to become this like content machine. I like went out and got a GoPro and I was like, I'm going to see how much I can put out here. Then I can go to company XYZ and I can say, 
hey, do you guys want YouTube videos? And they're like, actually, we value Twitter likes or follows. And I'm like, deal. I'm going to focus on getting those right now. And for every, you know, however many I get, how about you pay me a little bit of money? And that's how I finally tried to make the jump from just getting free gear, which I had been doing for many, many years to actually trying to make a living doing it. And no one else was doing it at the time. Like that was a model that I was totally inventing. And a lot of people were really, really hesitant to embrace, but a couple forward think companies did. Before the social media era, skiers got paid through spots in films and articles and photos in magazines. But as brands recognized the power of social media, they worked followers and engagement into contracts. And some skiers got left behind because of that. But Brody didn't. He was arguably the first in the ski industry to see and use social media as a career tool, not just like a photo editing app or a platform for really sick selfies. And he used social media to build his career. But Brody's not just some dude with a big following and no skill. He's a legit ski mountaineer. In 2013, a pal from college, Max Lowe, asked Brody if he wanted to join an expedition to ski Denali. Brody jumped at the opportunity because, remember, he felt like he needed to prove himself. But he was more than a little bit nervous because the trip was stacked with talent. I show up in Talkeetna and it's Max. It's our best friend Robin from college who grew up in Montana skiing big mountains. It was Ralph Backstrom, who's like a world champion snowboarder, like on the snowboard tour. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's KT Miller, who's like this photographer and skier who I looked up to. Also, It's a bunch of Montana people, right? It's Jackie Edgerly from Aspen. It's It was Conrad Anker. It was Jeremy Jones. It was John Krakauer. Mm-hmm. And it's this team of 14 people, right? Kasia Rigby's on the trip. Jesus. Rachel Pohl's on the trip. Jesus. Ryan Hudson's on the trip. Oh, I mean, it is like an incredible God. list of people. I mean, talk about feeling like you're starting from a lifetime behind. These people grew up in the mountains. They are mountain people through and through. I am this broke guy from Ohio spending my last pennies to come here. And things started going wrong from like, you know, the first second pretty much. Like I was just constantly a second behind. But I was also this this doubt that I had of like, I am just always, I'm like, I'm I'm just worse. And I just had so much doubt. So how did I compensate for that? I'm like looking at myself and I'm like, all right, be less of a liability and maybe more of an asset even. Coming up after the break, Brody figures out how to use self-doubt as fuel. Real or imagined, a theme in Brody's life is that he nearly constantly feels like the weakest link in the chain. During that Denali expedition, Brody felt his mountaineering skills and his knowledge just weren't up to par. What else can I do to contribute? So I'm like, all right, put two sleds behind me, deal. All of a sudden, I find myself, me and Conrad, tied together with a trio of sleds behind us in like a V formation. Because I had been like pushing it. I had been like trying to prove myself both to myself and to them. And Conrad's like, hey, looking strong, let's do this. So we've got, you know, 200 pounds Wow. On these three sleds behind us, it's me and Conrad Anchor tied together, just side by side, just head down. And I am redlining, dude, like absolute VO2 max, like anaerobic, I feel like. And Conrad's chatting, you know, I didn't know him very well at the time. And we're just talking or he's just talking, you know, and then like, so we get to the steep hill 
where we can't carry three sleds up. So we, you know, we, everyone takes one sled up away to the top. And then sure enough, that third sled was down there still. No one was volunteering to get it. And I'm like, all right, guys, I'll, I'll just ski back down and I'll get the sled. Don't mind me. Ski back down, bring the last sled up. I think Jeremy came down to split the effort up with me. But so like, you know, this, this felt like an in with these people. Right. This is like the cool kids club. And you know what? I got along with them because I'm not, I'm not the extrovert, right? I'm not sitting at the dinner table with 40 people like putting on the show. But when I'm in a tent with Conrad and John Krakauer, am I just like talking to them, like really enjoying my time? taking mental notes, learning everything I can, but just being a person for sure, man. And I got along great. And Jeremy had to leave that expedition early after only 12 days. And so, or nine days or something like that. And so he saw me being strong. He didn't see how hard I had been pushing. Mm -hmm. And so we got to advanced base camp and I'm ready to rest for like days. And Jeremy, (laughs) he pokes his head in my tent and he's like, Hey, want to go to the summit tomorrow? We're six, 7,000 feet below the summit almost. And I've never been above, you know, 19,000 feet in my life. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, he looks fresh. I'm like already sunburned and like on my back in my tent just toasted. <laughs> so, yeah, eight days after landing on the glacier, which is typically about 18 to 20 days, eight days after landing on the glacier, we, uh, we summited me, Jeremy, Conrad, and my buddy Robin. And we each skied like different lines off the mountain. With a trip like that Denali expedition with the folks he was with, Brody had himself a firm foothold in the industry. His adventures, his popularity in the community and industry, and his career just all amplified. Brody's outdoor escapades appeared in national magazines like Powder and Outside, and he worked with partners like Protect Our Winters, Toyota, Google, Solomon, just to name a few. I had felt like I had really made it. Right. Right. I was sponsored by like one of the biggest companies in the entire outdoor industry. I had been making a living from skiing far longer than I think most of this, the ski industry who cares to think about these things realizes. I was like, wow, I can't believe this. Like this is working, you know? And so I just pretty much decided like, I want to be with this company for the rest of my life. And as long as I work my butt off, there's no reason I can't be because they are really good at making sure that they can keep their athletes for their entire lives. But in 2017, Brody got a gut punch. At arguably the peak of his popularity, he was dropped from his major sponsor, Solomon. Literally out of the blue, one day I get an email from France that doesn't actually say that I'm being let go, but it it's kind of along the lines of, oh, like, I'm sure you'll find someone who will be a, you know, a better fit to work with in the future. Did you get freaked out when you got that email? I mean, dude, it's like the rug was just ripped out from under me. Brody was feeling the pressure. That very same week, he just bought a house in Salt Lake City. I've just signed a contract for, you know, a mortgage that's worth more than my life. And it like stings every day. Because one of my first reactions after I kind of got over it was like, okay, I can't, I can't dwell on this, right? Like this is, this is my career. This is my life. This is everything. I got to like get back on the horse. Like within 12 hours, I was emailing every contact I had at every other company. And I kind of had this like ego about it. I'm like, you know, like this big company wanted me. Why wouldn't that big company want me too? And I started to like get turned down. I'm like, Hey, hang on. This has been working for me. What did I do? Like, I haven't done anything different this year than I did the year before or whatever. How do you deal with the disappointments? I internalize them. Uh 
I feel terribly about it. Like, right. Like this, this doubt that I had is not a good feeling. Even if I use it as a driving factor, it'd be awesome to not have it and find another driving factor. You know, it'd be awesome to not be dropped by a sponsor for evidently doing nothing wrong. Yeah. Telling me that I'm too ambitious. That was the only reason I got. All I can do is try to capitalize on my own strengths and try to improve them simultaneously. Yeah. You know, like for me, climbing mountains and skiing, it's not some spiritual thing, right? Like this isn't when I go to church, this isn't like me escaping from everything. Like this is very much like a physical endeavor, like a a mental and physical challenge. When I go to the gym or when I go climbing, it's not like I'm just going to run my problems away on the treadmill. It's not like I'm trying to overcome these things and forget about them. I have to live with them. And I have to be reminded of them every day, whether that's looking at my bank account or watching someone ski who is just like a far better skier than me. And I'm like, what, what is it? Is it just a lack of natural skill? It's not a lack of will, I don't think. And so, okay, I don't have this natural ability. How can I take that and hopefully harness that for something good, whether that's improvement or motivation or inspiration for myself or for those around me? Like, how can I try to harness that to grow? Because I think like the places that we grow most physically, spiritually, mentally happens when we're challenging ourselves. Cause like, I think things that are hard for you are really good for you. And if you want to grow, you have to challenge yourself. I think in a lot of us, you know, there's this mental battle that takes place, you know, like desire or self-will versus doubt in self. And I'm wondering with you in that mental battle, which wins out? Self-will. But I think they're intricately connected. I think like that doubt isn't debilitating for me. Fulfillment doesn't always equate to success. I do believe that that doubt can lead to fulfillment and It's focusing on those successes by harnessing that doubt and leveraging it. I think I have this inferiority complex. No matter what group of individuals I'm around or who I'm speaking with or who I'm thinking about, I just cannot help but feel all of their successes and achievements and, you know, their privilege and everything else that they have that I don't have. It just like rubs in my face. List off some of the doubts that you have right now today. Oh, my fitness, man, my acceptance in the ski industry. If I'll ever get another like primary sponsor, if I'm going to be able to continue this way of making a living, if I have any business being this like inspirational, motivational speaker that I am slowly becoming and trying to push more. If I really think that I can like ski some of the biggest mountains in the world and the hardest lines in the world and unclimbed lines and unskied lines, if I like deserve to be putting myself in this circle of people that I look up to so much. How do you personally harness self-doubt? I think I don't deny it. I think it moves much beyond what you doubt, what you consider success, where you find your fulfillment. And instead, it's something that is a place where you'll find growth and a place that maybe you even want you find like a new direction that you could see yourself turning. I think seeing it as opportunities for growth and challenging yourself to overcome that self-doubt because challenging yourself leads to good places. I think that's a place that all of us can harness that self-doubt and use it in a positive way instead of letting it inhibit us or like send us into a downward spiral. Is it hard being so tough 
while also being so very, very tiny all at the same time because <laughs> I have no experience with either of those things. <laughs> I was just looking at my, my driver's license. I still have an Ohio driver's license, and it says 5'8", and I was like, who was I kidding that day, dude? 5'8"? <laughs> what, were you on a stepladder? <laughs> Well, what does your career look like now? I mean, do you still feel established? Do you still feel like you're a success? I'm doing great. And like my business is thriving, but not in the traditional way of a professional skier, which is what the kind of like, um, what's the word? Like not closed minded, but like, like the ski industry is like, it's so, you know, it's very focused on itself you know, the ski industry likes to talk about the professional athletes as if you care about what they eat for breakfast. And it likes to be like this kind of self-serving, self-congratulatory, like, you know, closed circle. And part of me wants to be like, Hey, like middle finger in the air, right off into the sunset. I'm doing just fine without your approval or pats on the back. But you know what? Like 13 year old Brody doing backflips at Alpine Valley, Ohio wants nothing more than the ski industry, like to embrace him and be like, Hey, we know you aren't hitting pillows and skiing powder and whatever, riding lifts and going in helicopters and snowcats and snowmobiles and like doing drugs and shooting guns and driving big trucks and swearing all the time and drinking a lot and partying and skiing six months of the year and smoking weed on the beach the other six months of the year. But we embrace you for what you are. And that is something that's refreshing in the ski industry. That's what my ego wants, Patty. Like my ego like thrives on it. It like needs that because this entire like phase of my life, which is really my entire 31 year life has been like encapsulated in caring about skiing. And all of a sudden, like I said, it feels like the rug was just pulled out from underneath me. Like that twinge of, of like refusal of denial of just, you know, the cool kids table doesn't want you here. That's what I'm feeling now because the cool kids table in my mind is still that ski industry insider thing. I just still feel like I'm at the kids table, Hmm. but that's kind of something that drives me and it hasn't always worked in my favor. I don't think, but like, it's something that I have, I've really tried to embrace and kind of use to drive me instead of use to make excuses. And I, I think a lot of that doubt is kind of stomped out by knowing that I'm super self-motivated. I'm trying my hardest at any given time. And so when I get super down to get myself out of that funk is to try harder. And I mean, I think harnessing self-doubt can lead to a fulfilling life because it doesn't force you to live in denial or live in a place of fear of failure. Instead, it can be flipped on its head and turned into opportunity for growth for challenge and for the growth that comes from challenges. You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was Brody Levin. And to learn more about what he's up to, check out his Instagram at Brody Levin or his website, brodylevin.com. If you like today's show, then please get the word out. You know, Safety Third is kind of like a huge box of free donuts. It might seem like a good idea to keep it to yourself, but then you end up regretful and covered in powdered sugar. So 
Grab your crew and dig in together, pals. Tell your friends and fam. And if you have an idea for a guest, send us an email at hello at safetythirdpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at safetythird underscore podcast and on the whole interwebs, safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nakano. Cordelia Zars edited this episode. Additional production help from Parker Cross. Music by my big brother, Brendan Cargo Shorts O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, Safety Third. Thank you.